people who worship His name. We're meant to be people who are free to choose to follow Him. And I love the word in that song, embrace, when we embrace surrender, because it's not really like, like you can choose something but not fully embrace it, right? You know what I mean? Anyone ever surrendered to the Lord but kind of been like, oh, I don't really like want to surrender because I know it's the right thing to do. But like when we embrace surrender and when we choose that fully, wholeheartedly, is where we find the freedom. Man, isn't that just like the amazing backwards thing, backwards to the world? This is the wisdom of God that seems foolish to the world, right? That in embracing wholehearted surrender, we find freedom. <laughs> it's amazing. God is so good. Man. The words of this next song kind of echo the same thing. You have a choice. You have a choice to praise him in the midst of everything, in the good times and in the bad, when it's going your way and when it's not going your way. We have a choice to praise him. May you be encouraged this morning by the sound lifted here of a people choosing to praise him no matter what. Let's sing it together. I count on one thing, the same God who never fails, who will not fail me now, who won't fail me.
Lord, would your spirit come and, and show us uh, the parts of our lives that aren't like you. Convict us that we may be made more like you. God, where we need hope, would you give us hope? Lord, may we be a people that uh, is embracing surrender. That's declaring your name, not just on Sunday morning in a 30-minute song session, but God, as we go from this place and take our faith to our neighbors and our coworkers and our families, God, help us have the strength to proclaim your name and your goodness and your salvation. Lord, I pray for the remainder of this service, God, for, for Brian as he comes and speaks to us, God, may it be your words, uh, may our hearts be open to how you want to speak to us through your servant. God, we love you. We just want our lives to look like that. It's in your son Jesus' precious and holy name that we pray these things. Amen. Good morning. Thank you for your expression of worship today. I tell you, it's, um, it, there's a perspective from worshiping on stage, and there's a perspective from worshiping in the congregation, and there's a perspective from hearing the worship of the people that you worship with, if that makes any sense. Um, no matter how many times I'm asked to, to speak or given the opportunity to sing, um, I get nervous, and so I was pacing that length of hallway right there. But, and your worship this morning um, spoke to me, so I just wanted to thank you for that today. Um, Pastor Brian is at NYC. Um, I don't know, some of you may recall, may not, that when he and uh, his family came to us from West Virginia, uh, basically just about a year ago, uh, he was functioning as a district coordinator for NYC for the West Virginia North District. And so we knew when he came to us that he would have responsibilities uh, with West Virginia. Go Mountaineers. Um, sorry. I'm a West Virginia guy myself. Um, and so we knew that he'd be in Tampa during this week, and he knew he'd be there. Pastor Josh, obviously, is with the youth. Um, Holly and I's daughter, Kennedy, is there. Um, and we just want to express how grateful we are. Um, several people gave above and beyond, uh, we don't even know who you are, to make it possible for those kids to go. And we are direct recipients of that. I just want to, before we go any further, thank you so much for that. If you were one of those people sitting here today, it has blessed our hearts. Um, Holly and I got a chance to go to NYC 
both as students and as youth leaders or youth workers. And so we know what that experience is. And so we just want to say thank you. And I know that I'm speaking for the other uh, families here today who were recipients of that blessing. Pastor Brian asked if I'd be willing to, to take over or to speak for him on this uh, day that he would be in Tampa. And so I said, yes. And so here we are. Thank you for not leaving when I walked on stage. Um, I don't want to assume, I don't ever want to assume that just because, you know, we're here together that everyone knows everyone. And so if you're visiting with us or if you're watching for the first time on live stream, uh, my name is Brian Nurick. Um, this has been my church home for the last 24 years. Uh, I married into this church uh, when I married up. My wife, Holly, is this lifelong member of this church. Uh, we have two daughters, Kennedy, who you saw on the video. She is heading into her senior year at Fairbanks. And Jillian, uh, an eighth grader, who well, heading into her eighth grade year at Fairbanks. And I'm a high school English teacher. I've been a high school English teacher for 19 years, and that'll play a little factor in what we're doing today. But uh, see on the screen, um, we've got some scripture references for today. I want to take a look at uh, Matthew 19, 16 through 26. That's kind of where we're going to be pulling from today. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to read that together today, and then we'll, we'll get into what we're talking about. Uh, Matthew 19, 16 through 26. I think this is a familiar story or, or, or scripture set for us, if we're familiar with the New Testament at all. Um, Jesus has just given the famous line, let the little children come to me. That's what has preceded this. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these things I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. This is God's word. Let me pray for us this morning as we begin. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to worship and to sing and to, to call out to you. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and to discuss what it is that you would say to us and how you would speak to us. God, I pray that in every aspect of what happens uh, from this point, uh, Lord, that you would be heard, um, that, that the word said would make sense, Lord, that your message would be heard in our hearts and that you would speak to all of us here in the way that you see best fit. It's your name. We thank you and praise you. Amen. So when I asked Pastor Brian how I should prepare for today, he said, well, we're coming to the end of a series that we've been working on, and he said, just go with what's familiar. Um, you don't need to worry about tying into the series or, or you know, trying to uh, in-cap anything. Just go with what's familiar. And so I mentioned I'm an English teacher, so we'll be doing some subject verb conjugation today. Um, we're going to write an essay. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. No, um, that would be easy to teach, but it's not necessarily, I think, what God wants this morning. <laughs> if you've ever done any of that, you know that's not what God wants. No. Um, <laughs> by the way, uh, I should mention this. Uh, Kennedy's in, in Tampa. Our daughter Jillian's been at my, my parents' house in Charleston, West Virginia, since last t 
Tuesday. Holly and I have been empty nesters for the last several days, and it's been fantastic. Um, <laughs> we should have thought of this earlier. But Jill called last night to check in. I'm going down to West Virginia to get her tomorrow. And she said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm finishing up. I'm preparing for tomorrow. She said, oh, Dad, I'm sorry I'm going to miss it. And that touched my heart. I said, oh, kid, you know, that's okay. You know, um, if you want, you know, I guess we could watch the live stream later. You know, I said, but, you know, we can talk about what I talk about. She said, no, no, no. No, I want to be there for all the jokes you tell. She said, it, I just want to hear all the jokes that you tell. And I thought, well, if that's what she takes away from me speaking publicly about God, then someone else needs to do it. No. <laughs> I just wanted to mention that. I, I've been an English teacher for 19 years. Um, for 18 years, I taught at Benjamin Logan High School. And then this past year, um, I transferred over to Ohio High Point. How many of you know where Ohio High Point is? It's in Bell Fountain, Ohio, and it is the highest point in Ohio. Uh, believe it or not, Ohio High Point is physically at the highest point in Ohio, and it at one point was an, uh, an Air Force base commissioned by the U.S. military, um, which collected radar data for Ohio, parts of West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Indiana, had a pretty big role, and it was just decommissioned within the last uh, 30, 40 years, and the site was then transformed into, uh, into a technical center, a career tech center. Ohio High Point is a career technical center. Um, we serve 14 different school districts, so on any given day, I have students from 14 different school districts who come into my classroom. Those schools are Bell Fountain, Benjamin Logan, Indian Lake, Waynesfield Goshen, Upper Scioto Valley, Riverside, Graham, Mechanicsburg, Triad, Kenton, Ridgemont, Marysville, and West Liberty. Students from 14 different schools get to hear me joke and make fun of things every single day. And I'll tell you, moving into this teaching environment was very different for me. I had always taught groups of students, especially at Ben Logan, who had been together with each other as students since kindergarten. How many of you would say that was your educational experience? You traveled with the same people, you, yeah. When these kids come into High Point, um, the juniors especially, it's brand new. It's like freshman year all over again. Um, they're sitting in a room with kids from 13 other schools. And so there's a lot of newness and a lot of freshness of perspective and a lot of nervousness and a lot of embarrassment. And do I fit here? Is this what I want? And not only are they doing academics, but they're jumping into a career tech program. So it could be cr uh, criminal justice or uh, diesel mechanics or we have nursing. I mean, we've got all kinds of stuff. And so it's a lot for these students to take in. And so it was a very new teaching environment for me. Um, at the beginning of the school year, I thought, how am I going to know these, how am I going to get to know these kids? Because even at Ben Logan, I kind of knew some of the students coming up through the middle school, but I hadn't met none of, well, save one, uh, Lenina Hudson. How many of you know Lenina? Lenina was one of my students last year, and she had me for English and homeroom, so she got to see me twice a day, and she loved it. Talk to her about it. She'll talk your leg off. <laughs> Everybody but Lenina was new to me. I didn't know any of these kids, and so I thought, how am I going to, how am I getting to know them? How am I going to tie in? And so... I decided to go with something that was familiar to me then and to create a unit based upon a Netflix documentary that I've probably watched 30 or 40 times. Any of you watch the same thing over and over again? There's nothing good on TV, just watch the same things that you like, yeah. Uh, this Netflix documentary is known, and some of my friends are gonna know what I'm gonna say, and I apologize if you've heard me talk about this too much, we're just gonna go with it. This Netflix documentary is known as the Barkley Marathon. Anybody ever heard of the Barkley before? Okay. The Barkley Marathon, the Barkley Marathon is an annual backwoods race that was created 37 years ago by this old redneck guy in eastern Tennessee. It actually is run in the Ozark Mountains, just about 45 minutes west of Gatlinburg. Um, the guy's name is Lazarus Lake. That's his pseudonym. His real name is Gary Cantrell, but he goes by Lazarus Lake. And he is an ultra marathon 
runner. Now, don't make any mistake, please, before we go any further. If you look at me, especially from this angle, I am not an ultra marathon runner, okay? So I'm not watching this documentary because it's some sort of life advice that I enjoy. We'll get into why I like it. But this documentary films this race, and here's what's unique about this race. Like I said, this has happened for 37 years, every year for the last 37 years. There are only 40 contestants to this race. Annually, over 1,000 people apply. He only takes 40 people. He only accepts you if you're one of the 40. The race is 131 miles long. If you complete the Barkley, you will complete five loops of 26.2 miles each. From the starting gun, you have 60 hours to complete the Barkley. The clock never stops. If you choose at the end of a loop to come in and to rest, to get some food, to change your shoes, to put on fresh clothes, the clock never stops. 60 hours start to finish, which if you think about it, that means you're gonna be running this in the daytime and at night. Five loops, 131 miles. If you complete the Barkley in Eastern Tennessee in the Ozark Mountains, if you complete all 131 miles, you will ascend and descend the same distance as climbing Mount Everest and descending Mount Everest twice. It's that challenging of terrain. It's that insane of a race. And every year, only 40 people are asked to join and to run. Some would think that the entry fee for this would be some sort of exorbitant fee. $1.60 is all he charges. $1.60. And an essay, why I should be allowed to run in the Barclay. That's what he wants for you to compete in this event. If you at any point are lost, you get disqualified. By the way, the trail isn't marked. Any hikers in the room, anybody ever been hiking on a mountain? There's no marked trail, there's no trail markers, there's no lit path. Uh, he distributes one map that he has created and the map changes every year. You are meant to copy the map down and then using your route finding compass skills, you have to figure out what this 26.2 mile loop is supposed to look like. He gives instructions like take a left at the tree with the fork in it. Ever been in the woods? Right. <laughs> yeah. If you finish the race in 60 hours and one second, you are disqualified. In the history of the race, over 1,000 individuals have actually physically run it, and only 17 have ever finished the Barkley. 17. The year that this documentary was filmed, 2014, three people finished the race. Three. That's never happened before in the history of the race, and it has never happened again since then. And the race was run in April of this past year. Um, I've got a friend that I used to teach with who, who is training to one day run the Barkley. Um, we've tried to talk to her about getting some psychological help, but it is what it is. <laughs> so I show this documentary to my seniors this year, my brand new seniors who I've never met before. And, and I, I told them, look, I've shown this in other classes before, but I've never done this unit or this project before. I just want to show you this documentary. I want to talk about the human condition and the human challenge and human will and what it takes to push yourself through something that you think is horribly, horribly difficult. And I watched as their skepticism turned to amazement and then to respect as they watched these contestants and these runners run and Again, if there's 40 who started and only three who finished, that means there were 37 who drop out. And so they watch as these people uh, drop out, some of them literally struggling across the finish line just to get back to camp, and some of them stopping in the middle of the race, and some of them being injured. And, and they watched, and, they, and they, they marveled, just like I do every time I watch it, at this idea of the strength of the human condition and the human will. Well, after the documentary was finished, 
um, I kind of wanted to put some action to just watching a documentary. So we left our classroom. I didn't tell the kids what we were doing. We walked out of our classroom and out of the school and across the parking lot, and we hiked to the highest point in Ohio. See what I did there? <laughs> we went up to the highest point. We went up. There's a monument on, on, on our campus that, is, that marks the physical highest point in Ohio. And so we went up to the highest point. I've got some pictures of it that we might get a chance to show you. Um, went to the highest point in Ohio, and, and I just had them kind of sit. I said, look, just kind of get by yourself and sit and take a look out over. I mean, you can see farmland. You can see into other counties. The, the pictures aren't the best showing you what you can see, but you can see quite a distance here in Ohio. As a West Virginia boy, I really struggle to call it a mountain. But you're on the top of a really high hill, right? And you can see, and so I said to them, like, they're all facing away from me. Now I was behind them, and I said, okay, here's the question I'm going to ask you that I want to drive you this school year. Here's the question. What is your Barkley? What's the most difficult thing you've ever encountered in life? Maybe you're still going through it. Maybe it's something you're still struggling with. Maybe it's something that you look at. Maybe your Barkley is something you've gotten through, that you've experienced, and it's a struggle, and you consider that a major victory in your life. Maybe it's something you're still going through. Maybe it's something that you see in the future that you've got to go through, but the question that we, was asked of them is, what is your Barkley? And I said, okay, I know I don't know you and you don't know me, but I would like to hear what you have to say. And so, I'm an English teacher. I signed them an informal essay. Would you please write to me what your Barclay is? And again, I had no idea. I had 76 seniors. I had no idea how many of them would take me seriously at this. And I got 76 essays. And the things that I read about my students who I had just met blew me away. They were open. They were transparent in ways that I never even thought I could have gotten a group of strangers to, to buy into. Some of them said, nobody's ever asked me this before. Parents divorce. That's my Barclay. I lost a younger brother, that's my Barkley. I'm fighting through an addiction, that's my Barkley. Over and over again, they shared with me some of the, and I, and I had told them, I said, look, don't share something that is too personal. Don't, don't, don't feel like you're being forced to say something you don't wanna say, and know that whatever you turn in is only seen by myself and my co-teacher and you. The three of us will be the only ones who see it, but would you share with me? And over and over again, the students opened up and talked about the difficult things. Some of them said, Mr. Nurek, being in this classroom this year is my Barclay. Being in this school setting, learning how to, how, to, how to do academics in a trade and not know what my job's gonna be, this is my Barclay. And so that set the framework for us for this past school year. Um, I thank them for, my honest, for their honesty and openness. And, and as the year went on, I had a talking point, not that I used it to, to kind of manipulate a talking point, but I could check in with those kids, hey, you mentioned this, how are you doing? You mentioned this, how are you doing? The kids started using the phrase Barkley to describe difficult things. Mr. Nurek, you're, you're being a Barkley today, you know? <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know? Sometimes when kids are struggling and maybe they weren't so great at being open, I would see, how's it going? And, they, and I would say, is it a Barkley day? Yep, okay, and that was enough. I didn't realize when I started this that that term Barkley is trademarked, by the way. <laughs> the guy who made the race, Lazarus Lake, Gary Cantrell, he trademarked this race name. And so the more we kept talking about it, the more we kept using it, I thought, you know what, I want to make sure that I don't get sued or fired my first year at <laughs> Ohio High Point. So I tried to reach out to him, and in a really cool story that I'll tell maybe at another time if you're ever interested, I just sent an email to a running magazine and said, hey, look, I know that he's written an article for you. Do you think he'd be willing to talk to me? And 30 minutes later, I've got an email from Gary Cantrell in my school email inbox that says, hey, what's up? <laughs> this little old redneck dude with two teeth is asking me, hey, what's up? 
And so I told him, I said, look, here's what we're doing, and here's what I'd like to use this for, and if I have your permission, I'll stop now. If I don't, I don't want to, you know, kind of abuse this term, this idea of Barclay. I, I want to make sure that it's, it's, it's what you want it to be. And he said, no, I think it's fantastic. He said, use it. I, I never would have thought that that would be something that would be taught. He said, but, but use it. And so we came up with the idea that it'd be pretty cool to make some stickers. Our graphic and media arts design at High Point made some stickers for us. What's your Barkley? And so I gave it to each one of the kids, and they slapped it all over folders and laptops, and it kind of became our secret code in the school. Uh, there's about 600 kids that walk through High Point, uh, so about 10% of them got these things. And other kids are asking, what's this? Oh, that's something that Nurk does, and blah, blah, blah. And what's your Barkley became a mantra for us this school year. The coolest thing that I think about this whole thing, this lesson that I got to do with my students, is that at the end of the school year, I had them reread their essays. Essays they'd written in September, they reread in May. And I said, hey, tell me, where are you at now? And a lot of them said, this year I was able to get through some of this, or, or my Barkley is still something in the future, but they were able to reflect. And majority of them said, thinking about it, talking about it, having the ability to consider it and to work through it has helped me. And I took, I took a huge blessing from that. Looking at my students and thinking about the things that they willed themselves to go through, looking at a documentary that talks about the strength of the human will. If you really think about what, and I know you've not seen the documentary, but if you think about what it means to physically move your body for 60 hours up and down the same elevation and descend as Mount Everest twice, how many of you would agree that that's human will? That's not human ability. Like, human beings are made one way, right? It's clear I'm not a runner, but you know what I mean? Some of the best runners in the world would say that's insanity, that's insanity to do that kind of thing. It's a strength of will. It's a strength of character. It's a, it's a taking what you want and manifesting that into reality. Does that make sense? Will. Taking what you want and manifesting that into reality. It's interesting to me that we talk about will or we think about will. I think in the church we talk about will all the time. Um, I think the big uh, comparison that we look at is my will versus God's will. How many of you, you know, we, we talk about that. What do I want? What does God want? Um, and I watch this video over, this documentary over and over again, because there are times when I need to see examples of the strength of human will. And, and, and I would like you to track with me today. The, the title of today's message is, Do I Will God's Will? Um, I think sometimes, uh, I think sometimes we confuse what that means. Um, I've been raised in the Nazarene church my entire life. I've heard Nazarene preaching my entire life. I've heard Wesleyan holiness preaching my entire life. And I'll be honest, I feel like I've been raised with this idea, and maybe you agree, maybe you disagree, and I'm not even throwing this teaching or preaching under the bus, but I think it's misled, misleading a little bit. My will is evil, my will is sinful, which I agree. And I've got to get my will out of the way for God's will, which I agree. Are we, does that make sense? Some of you understand what I'm saying? But I think sometimes, I think sometimes, we confuse what that means. And I think in my life, I've falsely believed that taking the strength of what I want and manifesting that in reality, my own will, has led to a very passive understanding of what I'm supposed to do with what God wants me to do. This idea of, okay, I'm just going to, you know, my will's gone, God, you replace it with my will and with your will, and, and, and here I am. Um, almost kind of like this Zen state, you know, move me, God, you know, you move or move me, kind of this idea. The idea that my will needs to be replaced with God's, I agree. That my desires need to be replaced with God's, I agree. But I think sometimes, I think sometimes, we confuse the fact that God wants us 
to act out what he wants. Does that make any sense this morning? Uh, maybe we can look at it better when we look back at this, at this set of verses from Matthew 19. Take a look at what Jesus is saying to the young ruler. The young ruler comes to Jesus and says, how do I get eternal life? How do I gain the gift of heaven? How do I live forever with you? And Jesus says, okay, we'll follow all the commandments. Which ones? These. Jesus, Jesus names them, and we know them. Shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, shall not give false testimony, honor father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. And the man says, I've done those things. What do I lack? What don't I have, or what have I not done in order to gain eternal life? And Jesus answered, if you want that, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, which we understand he has a lot of, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. I think the problem that we see here is not that the man isn't doing godly things or living godly ways or practicing godly life, but at the core of who he is, what he wanted wasn't what God wanted. His will was not God's will. He was not acting out what Jesus wanted him to do. He was not living God's will in his life. And, and that's difficult because we see the godly things that he's done and we see the struggle that he has. I think another problem that we have in this instance is knowing what God's will is in our life and seeking God's will and understanding what it is that he wants in order to be able to live out what he wants. Um, I think sometimes we overcomplicate what God's will is and de-emphasize our own involvement in what he wants us to do. All Jesus was asking this young ruler to do was to give up what was important to him and replace it with what was important to Jesus, and that's where his struggle was. The question or the, or the, the conflict comes down to is, did he just want the good things in his life, or did he want God's things in his life? Do I want good things in my life, or do I want God's things in my life? I think sometimes we say, I don't know what your will is, God, so I'm uncertain of what to do. I'm uncertain of how to act. I'm uncertain of where to go or what to be or where to go or, or, or who to speak to. And at the same time, we read in the Bible all these verses that talk about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Familiar? Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things are God's will for our life, to live those things out in the life of the people that we are around, in the sphere of influence that we have. Replacing the things that are important to us, replacing the things that we want to act out on and do with what God wants for us. Look, Jesus makes it very, very clear if you take a look at the Lord's Prayer. Even the way that Jesus prayed and taught his disciples to pray speaks to how Jesus wants us to look at this concept or this, this understanding. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, how I many of you know this? You could say it with me. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, I think sometimes we pray that. I, th I think, think sometimes we look at those words and pray those words, and because they rhyme and because they fit together, that it almost becomes sing-song to us. Do you know that Aramaic, that like you, your will be done, your kingdom come, your will be done, doesn't rhyme? Did you know that? Okay, just want to make sure you knew that. Like, like Jesus didn't give those words because they rhyme. Jesus gave those words because there's emphasis. Let's look at it this way. Our Father who exists in heaven, holy and sacred are you. Holy and sacred is your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. See, I think we sometimes 
forget that implied may your, or let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It sounds differently, doesn't it? It's this idea of permitting God's will to be done and acknowledging that in order for it to be done in my life, I have to move myself out of the way and I have to change the things that I will and I have to will that. May your will be done, God. May your kingdom come here on earth in my life just as it is in, is in heaven. It's implied, and I think sometimes we skip over it, but that Jesus himself is saying, Lord, I submit myself to your will and I want to live out what it is that you want me to do. It changes the way we pray if we think about it that way. Pastor Brian and I were talking about this message before, before, as I was preparing for it. He said, when you really think about this idea of do I will God's will, it changes even how we talk to God. I think so often our prayers are, God, I need this, or God, I need you to do this, or God, are you aware of this, or God, can you hear this? And notice that Jesus says the way that he starts the prayer, that he wants us to pray is acknowledgement of who God is, holy are you. May what you want be in my life. May your kingdom be in my life, just as it is in heaven, here on earth. And what that does for us is that changes this idea that I'm just some sort of passive, affected being of God's will, and it makes me an active part of what God wants. Does that make sense this morning? That when I will God's will, when I want what God wants, when I'm willing to manifest or to make reality the things that God says in my life need to be, I'm becoming an active member of what God wants in the world that I live in. And that's what I want, is to be an active member. I don't want to be someone passive who just simply is just waiting for God to move or, or uncertain of how to, uh, how to approach a situation because I've not heard directly from him. I want to ex exhibit love. I want to exhibit peace and justice and mercy. I want to share who Christ is because that's what he wants. And I want to be an active part of what he wants. I'll be honest with you, this isn't something that I have figured out or completely or locked into. Um, this might sound like some sort of talk that you think I've got this figured out, and so that's where I'm coming from today. I'll be honest with you. As I sat and thought about this message and thought about what God working me on, has been working on with me, this is the thing that I've been struggling with the most. Do I want what God wants? I think so often I go through the motions of my life, and I can say, yeah, I do godly things. I honor the commandments. I give. I serve. But at the core of who I am, do I truly want what he wants? For my wife, I want godly things for her. For my daughters, I want godly things for them. For my 133 students, for my neighbors, for the people that I'm around, I want godly things for them. I want good things for them. But do I want what God wants for them? And am I willing to act those things out? He's slowly showing me that when I align myself to his will, and it's slow, <laughs> But he's showing me that when I align myself to his will, that this, I, this question that the rich young ruler asked Jesus, what do I lack? That I don't lack for anything. That when I align myself to what he wants, and it is a constant minute-by-minute minute thing. God, what do you want in this situation? What do you want in this situation? How should I react in this situation? What is it that you want for X, Y, and Z? Hey, we've got a senior in high school. Do you think my prayers are not, God, what do you want for her? We've got family situations. God, what do you want in those situations? I can tell you what I want. <laughs> I can tell you what I think needs to be done, but what do you want? Am I willing to live out God's will? When I find myself in alignment with him, thinking through those things, 
it changes my perspective and it changes my life. And I find myself not worried or concerned about the things that I had been worried or concerned about. It's messy. It's complicated. But it's God's way of doing things. Um, I sit on the church board. I'm a member of our vision team. We are questioning who we want to be in this community. Who does our church want to be in this community? Who are we going to be for Marysville? And I think a lot of times our conversations are filled with godly things, but at the core of what, what we're asking is, what does God want for our community? And who does he want us to be for Marysville? And how can we live out what he wills and wants for this community that we're a part of? At the end of the day, I don't want my will to be my Barclay. Does that make any sense? I don't want the thing that I struggle with to be, uh, the, the, I, I, don't want the, I don't want my own self-desires and will to be the Barclay that I, that I struggle with or I challenge, or that it challenges me and keeps me from doing what God wants me to do. I know that's pretty heady this morning, and I know that's pretty complicated, but I also think that this is something that God put on my heart and asked me to share. And so I hope that he has spoken through me to you today. Would you stand with me as we finish this morning? I know I'm not a pastor here, but if there's anything you would like to pray about this morning, our altars are always open. Maybe you've got something that you've been struggling with, you've put in front of what God wants, or you thought that it was the right thing and you have not yet passed it by what God is saying, here's what I want for you in this area of your life or for this person or for how you're going to interact in this scenario. And so if you would like to pray this morning as we pray together, I invite you to do so. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for talking to us this morning. Lord, thank you that even in a message that doesn't always seem the clearest, that God, you can still use the words that were said and you can use the spirit of what was said and that, Lord, you can speak to us even as we leave this place. Father, I pray this morning that we would not be a people who are simply interested in doing good things or doing good acts or doing good actions, but that, God, at the core of who we are, at the center of who we are, that we would want what you want That, God, we would constantly, minute by minute, be asking you, how should I react in this situation? How should I look at this situation? How should I hear what this person is saying to me? How should I interact with the people around me? What is it that you want of me in these moments? Lord, thank you that you desire a relationship with us that asks those things. That, Lord, it's not for us to just figure every single moment out, but that, God, you are, are, are there to speak to us. You want to guide us through our life. You want to guide us through the interactions, through the relationships that you have created for us. You want to use us to act out your will. Thank you for that truth this morning, Lord. Thank you for how much you love us. Thank you that you want to use us, that we're not just simple uh, automatons, but that, Lord, you want to use each and every one of us uniquely where we're called where we are, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs. Lord, to be you to the world that's around us. Thank you for all that you've done for us today. Thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, send us out of here, listening, hearing you, willing to speak to you and ask what it is that you want in every single moment. In your name we pray.
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Have a good week.